You're listening to Radio Influence. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Kershell, and we are your weekly source for performance information. Hey, do you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks? Reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is our email. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, check out Crush Performance, and we will hook you up with the world of performance. All right, no shortage of things to talk about today is going to be a quick crush. Uh, we had a few issues Connecting with this, this week's guest, uh, we are planning to uh, talk performance and player development in honor of the start of the Major League Baseball season. We're four days in and there's plenty to talk about, but our guest couldn't make it last minute. So um, without shortage of things to talk about, we'll carry on and we'll hopefully hook that conversation up for next week uh, as we'll look into uh, the big picture and some of the inside information on developing players getting ready for this season, and what are the minor league players doing right now? We'll talk a bit about that today as well, but uh, we'll look forward to having our honored guest next week. I'll announce that as soon as we can confirm a time, but um, this gentleman is a great, great contributor to the game of baseball at every single level and has just been honored with a recognition um, by his coaching peers, and uh, rightfully so. Some great work being done there, but uh, also some some great information. So uh, we'll keep on that for everybody, but today we are going to make do. There's plenty to talk about in the world of sport as professional sports get underway. Uh, we're also going to go to the crush mailbag here as we're going to go from pro to promise. I will explain that, but we're going to get to a couple of very interesting emails that came in here over this last week. And uh, in case you're a new listener to the show, uh, we answer every single message we get, unless it's crap spam. You know, we're getting all these spam business emails into our uh, mailbox that we just delete right away. But if we have a listener that writes in asking questions or wants more information or if you have a topic that you would like us to investigate, we've dedicated segments or entire episodes to your idea. Because uh, again, some of the uh, questions and thoughts coming in are are really, really intriguing. And there's two I want to share with you guys today. One is from a professional athlete who wrote into us. And another is from an expecting father. So we're going to go from pro to promise with some interesting stuff. So let's get to it. Let's talk about the pro sports. Let's start off with the NBA. All right. Well, exhibition games are underway in the bubble that has been built around Disney's wide world of sports in Orlando. And the bubble format so far has been working great for the NBA. Um, not a lot of COVID news coming out of there as exhibition games are now underway as teams get in shape and get ready for competition. It's going to be fantastic. The Rep Raptors setting out to defend their title in a very, very different landscape. Of course, no fans uh, in the bubble. It's going to be different. No home court advantage, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, but one thing I'm looking forward to in the NBA world is the official introduction of Zion Williams. You know, ever since this player was drafted 
I've been excited to see him on an NBA court. Of course, an injury took him out of the contention last year. And right now he has stepped away from the bubble due to a family matters, but they're saying that he will return in time for their first game against the Utah jazz. So I've got my fingers crossed because that's one of the stories in the NBA that we're watching. Personally, we've been watching it ever since Zion was drafted. Of course, you know, we hear the stories about this incredible talent coming into the NBA. And, you know, the prediction was he was going to be a LeBron Jordan esque type of a talent. Some early concerns about his durability and the risk of injury there. And I think we've seen that already. Hopefully, you know, over this downtime and uh, and the recovery of his initial injury, he has worked on that and is in a place where he can compete at the highest level of the game. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do for that franchise and, you know, what he could potentially do for the game of basketball. Great young talent. And I I really, really uh, I can't wait to see him play. And, you know, the NBA, we're just watching with great interest. I think they're doing it right with this bubble format. If we look at the NHL, you know, skipping around to the uh, the Great White North, the two hub cities, Toronto and Edmonton, the teams arrived here on Sunday, and uh, they are getting set now to launch their season in August 1st, so less than a week away. We'll watch this with great interest. And the bubble city format, very similar to what the NBA is doing in Orlando, is really smart. They Split the league into two conferences, half the league in Toronto, half the league in Edmonton. All the players are here now quarantining and getting tested. And uh, we recently sat down with one of the medical directors to get some insight into the massive undertaking of creating a safe environment for these players. And boy, oh boy, you know, I just have my fingers crossed. So much work has gone into it and there's so much planning uh, the testing is going to be very similar to what we've seen in other sports, regular testing with quick turnarounds on results. And uh, the idea is to keep everybody safe while they go about their business of competing for championships. And that's truly what it's all about. And of course, you know, we all know we've talked about this extensively on the show, how great it is just to have sports back. If you're not a sports fan, it might not be that important. But if you've got kids in sports or kids that love sports, if you're a sports fan, uh, if you play even recreationally, just seeing the highlights in the morning for me personally, man, I love it. It just, man, I, I listen, I rarely watch the news. I'll catch the weather, but I rarely watch the news. I just don't, you know, it's good to be up. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be up to date and know what's going on out there. So, so I do watch the news, but I will watch the sports highlights First thing in the morning to get my day going, just to see what happened last night. What did I miss yesterday? And personally, for me, it gets me in a great mood, man. And some of these plays and these athletes, they inspire me still. The skill level, the commitment, these men and women out there just pulling off these great, great plays. I love it. I love everything about it. So glad it's back and they're making the effort to uh, bring it back in these troubled, troubled times. And for the NHL, that's going to be one of the keys. The players just have to follow the rules. If they follow the rules, they've minimized the risk. Because let's face it, everybody involved here is taking a risk. Uh, but they've got the plan in place. They've got the bubbles in the NBA as well. And if everybody sticks to the plan, they've minimized the risk. All right. And so we'll watch the NHL. Congratulations. And uh, we can't wait for the season to start there. We watched the NFL and the NCAA with great interest. All college sports, but particularly here talking football. You know, what is going to happen this fall to play or not to play? 
That seems to be the major question right now. Lots of plans, lots of strategies coming out and how they can get their seasons in. And I'm telling you, everybody is watching pro sports. And it started in, in Korea and Chinese Taipei with the baseball. Started the baseball leagues over there. I think they were the first professional sports to get underway in this COVID era. And then, of course, in Europe, we saw the soccer leagues starting out. And and trust me, the the organizers and the sporting experts and health experts involved in professional sports here, they've been in contact with the people in Europe and in Asia about how they're doing it and some of the issues they're facing. Uh, there is a great global collaboration going on, and it's pretty interesting to see how it's all coming together. We'll watch with great interest. I am really hoping that the NFL can pull off a season safely, of course, and I'm hoping for the sake of all college athletes, there is some form of college sports this year. And if not, we hope that every single athlete out there, just like all of our minor league athletes right now uh, in virtually every sport that's been shut down are looking at this as an opportunity to really attack and get better. And for the college you know, landscape, it's a little bit different for those graduating athletes and those athletes going into their final years of their eligibility to lose an entire year for any athlete is devastating, whether it's injury or because of a uncontrollable circumstance like COVID. But for these college kids, boy, I feel for them. I still am reeling for those kids who missed their March madness debuts or maybe their final appearance there. What a dream to be taken away. That being said, all right, that's out of our control. So as we've talked about on the show many times, we have to understand what we control, what we don't control. And for all of our athletes, let's focus on what we can control and that's getting better in lieu of sport proceeding as it regularly would. So uh, we watch the NFL and NCAA with great interest. Major League Soccer has been playing along here. It's actually been pretty fun to watch the highlights. I've caught a few games and I like watching it, um, but it's great to see those guys out there getting it done. And very little, very little news about COVID issues in MLS. Unless I'm missing it, I haven't noticed anything. If you guys have stories about that, hey, write to us, info at Crush Performance, and let us know. But, uh, you know, very little on the news that I've seen uh, regarding COVID and its impact on MLS. So it's great to see those games going underway. And they, of course, have a strategy as well. Major League Baseball. All right. Hey, opening weekend for Major League Baseball. We had opening night and then an opening day. And we're four days in. And the Marlins have canceled their home opener because 14 players, well, 14 team members have tested positive. Two coaches and 12 players. And this is very, very concerning for Major League Baseball right now. They're uh, scheduled to play Baltimore in their home opener here on Monday, I believe. And uh, it has to be canceled. Now, each team has a pool of 60 players that they can pull from at any time in case a player um, uh, gets ill and has to be tested for COVID. Whether they have COVID or not, testing's happening every other day. The results are coming in within 24 hours. There was a few hiccups preseason as they were working on their testing protocols, but they seem to have that down. Every player and staff member is getting tested every other day, and the results are back in 24 hours. That alone is a massive undertaking, very necessary in today's landscape. Um, but we have 14 Miami Marlins testing positive, causing the cancellation 
of their home opener. And I believe it's canceled. This is not a postponement. It's not going to be rescheduled. I don't think we're still waiting for details on that, but this is a very, very interesting situation to watch in major league baseball. Boy, boy, could have gone so many different ways here. I just, uh, I'm just not sure that the format they have, you know, going stadium to stadium, playing a regular season, 60 games in 66 days uh, was the way to go. When there was maybe options of pulling out hub cities or rotating city to city with five to eight teams per city, there's lots of ways they could have done it. Now, that being said, if you get to watch uh, the commissioner's um, uh, press conference on the strategies, the restrictions, the guidelines they put in place in conjunction with the Players Association. This is a, a really good plan. You know, in the big picture, it's a good plan. These players go from the hotel to the stadium, to their plane, to the airport, to the next city, to the hotel, to the stadium, to the plane. So, you know, it's a traveling bubble, so to speak. But where is the breakdown? It is absolutely critical that every single player follows the rules. And then again, you're still at risk because you just don't know who's getting in the bubble or, you know, was a surface contaminated or not cleaned properly or were you out at a restaurant and somehow got exposed? There is just maybe too many variables to control here. All we can do is maybe limit the risk to maximize safety of players and staff. But uh, this MLB, um, um, situation with Miami is very concerning. And again, number one is we just pray that all 14 of those uh, players and staff that who've tested positive are going to be okay. First and foremost, let's just put it where it is. Uh, that's priority number one. Second, however, we got to figure out how it happened. Can we trace this back to, to, to an incident that, that can maybe help us avoid it in the future? That's what this is going to be all about. Now, really important to track down what exactly happened. Now there's quarantine guidelines for players who have tested positive or are awaiting their tests. So um, Miami's out uh, some very, very important players. And obviously out of that 60 player pool, they didn't feel they could put together a good enough team to compete. So I don't know whether they forfeit those games. We're still waiting here because this news just came down on us. And, you know, this is one of the reasons, if you think about it, um, the Toronto Blue Jays, they're a homeless team right now. They are, they are hobos. They're baseball hobos right now because they don't have a home. Pittsburgh said no. And it's really just, you know, and I don't think it's personal. It's just logistically, how do you have two teams playing out of the same stadium? It, it, the schedule is that everything's just two last minute. The schedule was set. The Jays didn't have a home. Um, they are going to hang their hat at the AAA stadium in Buffalo which I think is a good move, especially when you look at the surge in COVID numbers in Florida, you know, their other option was um, the uh, spring training complex in Dunedin, Florida. But boy, you know, I think just from the standpoint of, of big picture logistics and player safety, uh, Buffalo is probably a much, much better place for teams to be when uh, they're competing against the Blue Jays. Now they've got some work to do on that stadium. It sounds like, but uh, they're underway. But if you look at Canada, this is one of the reasons Canada said no to the Blue Jays. And again, that was not a personal thing at all. Trust me, every Canadian coast to coast wants the Blue Jays playing in Toronto. There is no doubt about that. And make no mistake, this was a, 
uh, decision made at a national safety level, national the medical advisors for the country uh, made the decision. Um, they allowed the NHL in because it was a manageable situation, but there is absolutely no way to manage teams coming in and leaving, you know, for two or three days at a time in a regular, you know, major league schedule. So, um, of course, Health Canada said no, and the Blue Jays had to look for a new home. Um, but this is one of the things that we're dealing with in this landscape. And, and we can't blame Canada for that decision. That's actually an intelligent decision. Had MLB gone with some form of, you know, hub, hub city type of a um, um, structure, then maybe Toronto could have been one of those cities. I mean, they opened the doors to the NHL in Toronto and Edmonton. So we know it can be done if it's done properly, but there's just too much, too much going on too fast. I think with the major league, major league uh, season uh, for teams coming in and out of the country. So um, interesting. And, and it's a big deal. It is actually a really big deal that the Jays don't have a home field to play in. If you look at the numbers for home field advantage, and you know what? I might, I might reach back and play this. I might find this. I might plug this in here. Just hold on a second. We're going to go back to the archives and see if I can find this uh, crush report. We're going to be right back. Hold on. Okay. All right. Well, hey, it's interesting what comes up in the uh, heat of conversation here. And uh, of course, the home field advantage thing, it is a big deal for the Blue Jays. But uh, for those of you who heard our terrestrial radio show on the uh, TSN Sports Network, uh, we run a daily crush report, which is a little two-minute segment that just, you know, is just jam-packed with information. They run a couple times a day. But here's one we did in 2015. Uh, these numbers will be a little off right now. But just to give you some perspective of what we're talking about when it comes to home field advantage, listen to this crush report. This is the Crush Report with Jeff Groeschel. For any athlete or sports fan, home field advantage is a big deal. But is there a true advantage to playing at home that makes it such an important issue for teams? Well, based on the data, there is. And let's face it, if you've ever played sports at any level, you protect your home turf. There are all the home field factors that make sense, of course. Fan support, familiar setting, home field routine, travel, meals, hotels. But there's one factor that really turns the advantage to the home team, and that's officiating. In the research, Tobias Moskovich and John Wortham analyzed the impact of officiating on sport outcomes, and the argument is strong. Do referees intentionally favor the home team? Not at all, but they're human, and as claimed by the researchers, are unknowingly subject to the influences of the home field. In another study looking at the four major North American sports, it was found that home win percentages for the NFL were 56.5%, MLB 54.8%, in the NBA almost 60%, and in the NHL 55.4%. And in hockey, the authors of another study point out that home ice advantage is almost totally due to penalties. So home field advantage appears to be real for a number of reasons, but let's face it, anyone challenging you on your home turf is in for a serious battle if they're going to walk away with a win. I'm Jeff Cruschel, and this has been a Crush Sports Performance Note. Tune in to Crush Performance, Wednesdays 7 to 8, Saturdays 4 to 5, and at CrushPerformance.com. All right, there you go. That may be, if you haven't heard the uh, Crush Reports live, they only air on terrestrial radio. Um, you can get a few of them. Uh, we've uh, uh, put them into cartoon form on our YouTube channel. You can just search out Crush Performance on YouTube. A lot of them are there, and we've got little um, uh, uh, animations that go along with them. Really, really fun stuff. But, you know, just talking about the Jays, I, you know, that just brought back that Crush Report from 2015. So those numbers are a little bit off. 
but home field advantage is huge in every single sport. And those numbers are really close. I mean, if you look at Major League Baseball last year, the 2019 home field winning percentage was 0.529. The home team won 52.9% of home games. That's a big deal. A little bit lower than the 2015 numbers. But if you look back over the last five seasons, you get a really, really good idea. In the NBA, over the last five seasons, the home team has won 58.3% of the time. In the NFL, 56.1%, almost 60%. Home field advantage is huge in football. And I think the fans, they, they get so riled up into the game. The fans have a lot to do with that one. And in Major League Baseball, over the last five seasons, 53.4%. Well, the Jays don't have a home field this year. I mean, they do. It's a triple-A stadium, but they're not in Toronto where they're comfortable, where they've got their stuff, where they've got their routines. So the Jays are going to be really, really interesting to watch this year. And, you know, at the start of every season, and we might as well do this now. Let's do it now. I'll tell you what, we're going to cut out for a quick break. Let's do the crush. What to watch 2020 Major League Baseball at the start of every professional season. We go over the teams, the players, the storylines that we're interested in. And it's not the typical who's going to win stuff. It's we're watching this team for this reason. We're watching these players for these particular reasons. And these are the storylines we're following. So how about we do that for Major League Baseball? You know, we had it all planned out for the start of the season, you know, coming towards the end of spring training when everything got shut down. We had our, our list of things to watch this Major League season. It's changed 100%, brand new. How about we do that right after this break? We'll talk a little bit about the NBA and the NHL too as, as, as they get set to kick off. And of course, we'll go to the Crush mailbox. So right after this quick break, everybody, we'll be back with the Crush What to Watch 2020 Major League Baseball. This is Crush Performance. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, write to us at crushperformance.com. All right, and welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we are your weekly source for performance information. Thanks for sticking around over that quick break. Hey, if you have a question, comment, smart remarks, or a question, something you want us to investigate, you need some help, write to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, you can search out Crush Performance and we'll hook you up there. All right, well, we're just sort of rolling along with this show. It's actually been quite a bit of fun. We played our first, you guys might have heard your first Crush Report. Uh, those air uh, weekly on the local sports radio stations here. And um, they're just little 90-second blasts of information. We've got hundreds and hundreds of them. We may post them. You know, we've been making little animations of some of them. You can go to our YouTube channel and check it out. Some really good information and things that we think are important. Things we want to uh, share. Uh, great information that's available out there. And uh, we're just sort of a conduit for that. So, so do check that out. And if you have any questions on them, write to us for sure. All right. Well, we're getting into this. And we just sort of fell right into it. We might as well because Major League season's underway. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, what we do at the start of every single season uh, professional season is we do a list of what to watch, what we're watching for. And it's not your typical uh, what to watch in a professional sporting season. Um, it's the crush take on things, you know, the performance stories behind the scenes. What teams are we watching? What organizations are we watching and why? And what players are we watching? And why are we watching these particular players? What can we learn from them? And the storylines, of course. In Major League Baseball, in this landscape, there's so much to watch, our heads on a swivel. 
so many storylines and things to keep our eye on that uh, it's a unique situation for sure, but interesting nonetheless. And, you know, of course, with the NHL and the NBA getting ready to roll, here's a little quick preview of what we'll be watching in the NHL. We'll go through this in more detail in the upcoming weeks, but um, our team to watch, you know, our number one team to watch is probably the Edmonton Oilers again. Um, They let go of their coach a year ago, uh, right in the midst of a rebuild. They're on their path to doing some good things, and they made a coaching and a GM change. And we thought that was really interesting. A new building, ownership is fully committed, and they've got some incredible young talent. Pretty good season last year. Uh, We are really looking forward to seeing what this season would have held if it would have gone on. Uh, Would the Oilers have made the playoffs? Would they have made a run in the playoffs? Well, they're one of the uh, fascinating teams in the NHL to watch, no question about it. And then there's a developing story that is hot off the press as well. The Arizona Coyotes, a crushed team to watch from about 2015. They've been terrible. Gretzky was there and, you know, they've just been horrible, horrible organization, very shaky ownership and, and so many things going wrong. In 2015, they hired the youngest GM in the history of North American professional sports. John Chaka. And of course, we were intrigued by this, a changing of the guard, this new young blood coming in. But could John Chaka turn this organization around? Was he the right guy for the job? And that was, of course, a story to watch. The Coyotes became a team to watch, and they still are as they rebuild. And he has done a fantastic job. On the eve of the NHL startup, Chaka, who just got a long-term extension, I believe, to 2024, steps down as the GM of the Arizona Coyotes going into the bubble cities. He steps down and there's rumors behind this, of course. And uh, we're not big fan of rumors, but of course we really like to get an understanding of what went wrong. Cause this is a big deal for the Arizona Coyotes, an organization that has retooled starting to have some success. This organization has really turned around and John has been a big, big part of this now 31 years of age coming up as the youngest GM in North American sport history. Man, what a great story. And I am actually very, very happy for him. I'm really, really kind of disappointed things went down like this. So there's a couple stories out there that um, an organization came to the Arizona Coyotes and asked permission to talk to Chaika about maybe taking him away, making him an offer. Arizona says no. Chaika comes in and says, hey, listen, I'd really like to talk to these guys, see what they have to say. So the Coyotes agree to let them have a conversation and you open the door then like the door is open and you know, it's very difficult for an organization to hold somebody back from an opportunity. And most organizations are very good that way. You know, if there's an opportunity for someone to grow and expand and move on to something bigger and better, um, that happens all the time in professional sports. So anyway, uh, Chaika gets this meeting with this team and supposedly it was an offer that nobody could refuse. He's going to take the position and goes back to Arizona, tells them what's going on. And, and of course, maybe a little followed, but they're trying to set up a plan to finish this season. So then he could exit and the transition would be okay, which is very respectable and the right thing to do. Now, whether that's true or not, we're still waiting to get confirmation on that because the other story that we're hearing, and this might tie into what's happening here is that the owner, Alex Marillo, who's a very involved owner there, um, had a meeting with Taylor Hall, who is about to become a free agent. And again, I don't know what the rules are here. Again, this is the rumor mill churning. I apologize. But the other story that we're hearing is 
they met with Hall and actually gave him an offer or made an offer, but Chico was not part of these conversations, wasn't at the meetings with the with the agents and all the things that went on. So uh, the other side of it is Chico was a little uh, offset that he wasn't part of this process, a major, major commitment to a very, very good NHL player that could really help this team. So a couple of stories going on behind the scenes here. This is, again, hot off the press. We don't know. But what a massive, massive move in the world of the NHL. We're going to watch with great interest. In the NBA, of course, a little preview to that. We are watching the Raptors, as we mentioned. And again, for me, the number one thing for me to personally watch is Zion, this great young talent coming into the league that is a star-driven league, right? We've seen, you know, in other sports, stars come in and they're handled very nicely, but there's no sport like the NBA when it comes to superstar status. One player can rule an organization in the NBA. Can't happen in any other sport. It doesn't happen in any other sport. Now, don't get me wrong. The the stars do have influence and say and power in other sports, but not like the NBA. So here you have this great young talent who may come in and be the savior of the Pelicans organization. And I honestly can't wait to see him play and how he handles it personally and how the organization goes about supporting him and his efforts to help the organization move forward. We watch Sidney Crosby with great interest. We watch, um, um, of course, um, Connor McDavid in the NHL with great interest. All these great, young, phenomenal talents. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins did a fantastic job. Mario Lemieux is a big part of that with Sidney Crosby. Gretzky and the Oilers have done an impeccable job with... Connor McDavid, and there's other stars. Austin Matthews, we see it in other sports. You know, we could talk about the power of Mike Trout in, in Major League Baseball, the phenomenal talent of Harper, and the interesting switch there, getting to baseball. So much to watch. Our teams to watch this year are pretty similar, and it's changed dramatically because of this new landscape. But the Jays are a team to watch. For now, the main reason is they're not truly at a home field. So how is that going to impact their ability to play? Will they rise above the adversity and turn it into an advantage? We've seen that before. We've seen athletes and organizations with blatant disadvantages step up to the plate and just persevere out of pure will, maybe spite. I don't know. But it's going to be fascinating to watch to see how the Jays respond. And not only that, they are now well into one of the most advanced high-performance programs in professional sports. They brought in a bunch of people. When I say a bunch, it is a full-on staff of high performance. And not that other organizations and other sports don't do this, but nobody's done it quite like the Jays have. And it has not worked out for them at all to this point. But I'm rooting for them. We had Angus Monkford on the show not too long ago, the uh, director of performance for the Blue Jays, who's sort of spearheading this, this great move towards sports science and applying sports science in the game of baseball. And the thing I like about Angus, he's, he talks quite candidly about the issues they face and, you know, some of the issues the Blue Jays as an organization face in terms of applying the sports science. Really, really great perspective. So, you know, all the best to these guys, but we're watching with interest as the dust settles and they figure it out because that's all it's going to be. They just need to find that rhythm of how it's going to work. Now, their commitment, the Blue Jays commitment to sports science, all you have to do is Google the Blue Jays high performance complex in Dunedin. Over $100 million of pure performance. Uh, we watched them with great interest this year. Plus, not to mention the incredible talent that they have. And one of their players is a crush player to watch this year. We'll talk about that in a moment. Another team to watch is the Baltimore Orioles. One of the teams in the league that have 
gone through a true rebuild. This is a true breakdown, tear it down, build it back up, uh, rebuild. And we haven't seen one of these to this extent in professional sport in a long time. I can't remember the last time we've seen a breakdown. Um, a couple of years ago, they let a whole, whole bunch of people go. The old guard, they're changing it over. And then after a year of rebuilding, fine-tuning, last year they let another whole whack of people go as they try to restructure the organization. And again, that goes back to the old saying, you know, you look at all these great people who've been involved in the organization in the sport for so long, getting let go in two massive waves. You go, boy, that can't be good. But it also sort of points to the indication about, you know, when we talk about success, organizational success, the most important asset that you have is not money. It's not resources. It's not even facility. Those things are nice and shiny and everything. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Got the bat phone ringing in the background there. Sorry about that. We'll just put that on hold. But all those things, uh, they definitely help, but they don't truly drive an organization. What drives an organization? People. People are the most important asset any organization, whether we're talking business, sport, um, whether we're talking academics, doesn't matter. People are the most important thing in the success of an organization. And not just any people, but the right people in the right place. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand in sport as in, in, in terms of athletes, um, getting players um, progressing too soon as an example, putting them in a, a spot they're not quite ready for, and it can have a devastating effect. If it's done properly, it can be a very useful tool, but if it's done improperly, it can have a devastating effect. It's no different than putting an employee or a person in the C-level executive offices in a position they're not quite ready for without the support that they need. Um, you got to have the right people in the right place. And that is a really, really tough job. You know, a few years ago, uh, just going into a new year, we had a little poll of what are the hardest things to do in sport. And we had, of course, all the regular answers, all the regular responses from our audience. We had, you know, hey, hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball, hitting a curveball, doing a, a quad jump in figure skating. Yes, man. I mean, like hats off, you know, some of the freestyle extreme stuff the kids are doing on mountain bikes and in freestyle skiing, you know, uh, boxing, you know, going into the ring with with Mike Tyson, you know, all these things that were what's the hardest thing to do in sport. But on the crush side, you know, my thoughts went away from all of those things. As much as we respect anybody that can really accomplish and do those things well, you know, just, just me just being lucky enough to be at the high level of a number of different sports and, you know, getting involved in the executive level and getting to know these people. You know, one of the hardest things to do in sport, I said, my answer was uh, being a GM. But being a GM, putting together a championship organization. Because if you think about it, you can have all the greatest talent and still have no success. But if you surround that great talent or add that talent to a superstar organization, then you got a shot at winning a championship because everything matters at the highest level, right? Everything matters. And if you've got everybody in your organization feeling positive, talking positive, when you walk in the building, everybody's smiling, they feel like they're part of it. Man, that's a special person running that ship. And you know who those people are. So when you lose one of those people or when they move on, whew, 
again, we watch with great interest, and we have before. We watch Joe Madden leave the Rays and go to the Cubs. We watch Epstein leave the Red Sox and go to the Cubs. We watch Gruden come back to the Oakland Raiders. You know, all these changes, these key people. Will they have success? Or how long will it take for them to reorganize and create success in another setting? Just fascinating stuff. But my answer to that, what's the hardest thing to do in sport, is being a GM and putting together a championship team. And Baltimore is a real-life experiment right before our eyes. And we get to watch from the sidelines and see how they do. I, I wish them all the best. I really, really do because this is a true rebuild. It's not something you see very often in the world of sports. So Baltimore will be a team to watch. We're watching the Yankees versus Rays. <laughs> you know, the AL East is just a hot, hotbed for teams that we want to watch this year anyway. But we're watching the Yankees versus Rays because they're up against each other. Of course, it's the dollars versus cents kind of thing, you know, in our eyes. You've got the Yankees with the star power, the money, and uh, every resource possible. And then you have a small market team like the Rays having incredible success. And you want to talk about good people, good people in both organizations. Don't get me wrong. But I happen to know a lot of the people in the Rays organization personally, there is a reason they're doing so well with so little. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, um, we'll talk about this again another day, but all you need to do is just Google MLB payrolls for 2019. It's going to be very different. I mean, with all the changes this year, you could Google 2020, but it's not really going to stand because they have 60 player pools and all everything's so different. But just look at the resources available between these two organizations. And you know what I'm talking about for crying out loud. You have a 200 plus million dollar payroll against what? Uh, the payroll of two of their top pitchers with the Tampa Rays, right? It's a David and Goliath type of thing. And we just love to watch those stories. So the Rays and Yankees are teams to watch. And for other reasons, of course, the Texas Rangers are also another team that we're watching closely. One, because our close ties with some of the people in that organization, but what they're trying to do, what they're trying to do in turning that organization around. And of course, there is... No lack of commitment from the top down in this organization. They are fine-tuning and they're figuring it out. And this new stadium, damn it. This is another thing I was really, really looking forward to this season is um, our welcome to the new stadium in Texas. This stadium is incredible. Just Google it. Take the 3D tour. It's fantastic. But behind the scenes, this is a high-performance venue for those players. And one of the reasons they rebuilt that stadium, because the old stadium is beautiful in Arlington. Texas Stadium is beautiful. It is a beautiful stadium. The problem is it is hot as all get up down there. And so for the health of the players and the injury rates, I just can't wait to see a full season with this new stadium and the difference that it's going to make for that organization. That is a climate control strategy as much as it is anything else. We saw it happen with the Arizona Diamondbacks when they built their covered stadium. You can't play there. Like, I don't know how it's even possible. You can't sit there as a fan when it's that hot. So um, this stadium is not only better for the fan experience and um, for, for the player health, but it is also a high-performance stadium behind the scenes. The technology and the labs and the 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 – the infrastructure they have behind the scenes is fascinating. So we're going to watch Texas with great interest. We'll be watching the Astros, of course. Of course, the sign-stealing saga that 
happened over the last couple of years. We're going to see how they bounce back. They're already, they're already paying the price <laughs> bruise by bruise, pitch by pitch. They're going to pay the price all season long. That's my prediction. And, and, and maybe even for longer, I've lost a lot of respect for a lot of people. And just me personally, some of my favorite players on that team, just not quite as favorite as they were before. Damn it. Damn it. Oh, well, but we'll see how they react. We're watching the Dodgers to see if they can finally just get it done. And it's going to be a different world, but they're going for it. You know they're going for it. It's going to be a World Series, and it's not going to be a World Series, or it's not going to be an NBA championship. It's not going to be an NHL Stanley Cup with an asterisk. It's going to be with an exclamation point because this is going to be a very special one, not for a bad reason, for a great reason. You know, 60 games in 66 days. Did you know that the value of each game in this season, this shortened season, each game is worth 2.7 times more than if they were to play a standard 162 games. 2.7. Each game is worth 2.7 of what it would be in a regular schedule. So every game in Major League Baseball is so much more meaningful. You know, one of the things that we love about the MLB season and that playoffs and just getting to that playoffs, that schedule is brutal. It's the most brutal schedule in all of sport. And tightening it up to 60 games in 66 days, does that make it more difficult? Well, I'm not sure about that, but I'll tell you this right now. The heat is on because every game is worth 2.7 of what a normal game would be in a regular season. So uh, that's another story that we're watching. Every game counts even more. Every game always counts, you know, but now you have to change your mentality, especially if you've been a veteran of that game. You have to change your mentality, the urgency. This is going to be like playoff baseball for 60 games. I love it. It's going to be fun. I'm also, again, stories to watch now, stories to watch. We're watching the expanded playoffs. 16 teams are going to make the playoffs. Frankly, I hope this is something that sticks around after we get through this COVID shortened season. I'd love to see 16 teams every year vie for the playoffs in Major League Baseball. What Just think how good that would be for the fan base out there and for the interest in the game. I mean, we've all been through it. If you're even a, a remote fan of baseball and you're on one of those teams that has no chance by the end of April, what is going on? I mean, why? It is just when the dog days of summer start in May, you're in for a long, hard season, and we probably, unless you're a Yankees fan or a Dodgers fan, you know, you've been there, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I love this expanded playoffs. And not only that, inside of what's going on right now, outside of the 16 teams, you know, just looking at the structure and the predictions, there is a potential of 16 teams vying for the wild card spots. To get into the 16-team postseason, this is great for the game of baseball. And I think, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that these are some of the things that are, are going to uh, stick around after the fact. The other thing we're watching, of course, is how does the um, extra innings rule affect the games and the outcomes? Right now, the way it sits, you know, if it was... Uh, if they go in, if it's a tie game at the end of the night, it's play ball till somebody wins. What's happening now at the end of the 10th is there's going to be a runner or in the 10th inning, there's going to be a runner on second. They're going to start extra innings with a runner on second and the teams just have to drive in that number. So the strategy change or drive in that runner rather. And it's, the strategy changes greatly of how you're hitting and how you're playing the game, right? You just got to drive that player in. And one of the reasons they're doing that, of course, in this condensed season 
is to limit the number of extra innings so you can manage your bullpens better. And this is really smart. Like, I know the traditionalists don't like this at all. I know some of the pitchers hate it because their numbers are going to get destroyed. But, but let's focus on the good numbers. That's, again, a conversation for another day. we got to make sure we're talking about the right numbers. But listen, man, this, um, this is going to be really interesting, and I like it. I like it especially because it's really going to help teams manage their bullpens better. We're not going to have 15-inning games. At least I hope not, you know, or as few as possible. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to score that run. And we saw it in the minor leagues. They did it, and they've done it in international baseball here. We've seen it. It really does work. So I think that's a good move. So those are the stories to watch. The players we're watching, of course, uh, the list goes on and on. We'll talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But I can tell you right now, we're watching Mike Trout, really watching him. We're watching Bryce Harper. For good reason. You know, Bryce Harper, of course, moving team. How is he going to respond? And is he as valuable as everybody says? There's pitchers we're watching. Of course, the Astros, Verlander. Man, what a loss. What a great loss for, for baseball. But certainly a big, big kink in the plan of the Houston Astros for this season. He was their number one or at least one of their top pitchers, if not their, their top pitcher. Uh, but but having Verlander out is is really really a blow uh, for that organization. And I think for the game, because Verlander is one of those stand-up pros, pro type guys that we just all respect. And uh, we hope that he comes back healthy and able to play at the level he was at uh, going into this. But uh, um, lots of other players to watch. All right. So um, there you go. That's the crush. What to watch here in this, in this condensed season for Major League Baseball. And it's going to be, it's going to be a race, man. This is going to be a sprint to the finish. So uh, onwards. Hey, if you have things you're watching or interesting storylines or something you're interested in when it comes to baseball this year, let us know. We'll be talking about the NHL. We'll be talking about the NBA. We're going to be talking about the NFL as well. So many stories. And we always say, you know, if you want to figure out what to do, look to the pros. We really do use them as a guide. There's so many great people there. You guys, you got to know there's great people running those organizations, really smart people behind the scenes making things happen. And there's a lot to, to learn, uh, good and bad, from the highest level of sports. So we watch with great interest. All right. As promised, I want to wrap this up here quickly. Um, pros to promise. We've got a couple of great messages here over the last week in the uh, Crush mailbag. Um, and again, we answer every single message we get. But one of them was really interesting. We got a message from a pro player, pro baseball player, who was just trying to figure his way out um, as the minor league season gets canceled. And this really wasn't as much as a question, but just, you know, hey, man, uh, listen to the show kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm a minor league player for an organization, and our season just got canceled. He goes, I really, what you say about, you know, turning this into an opportunity, it was really resonating with me. And this player just sort of ran down some of his ideas for, for his strategy for this offseason. But here's what I can say for the minor league players out there. And this is sort of my response. We don't know. It sounds like the minor league season was canceled. So unless you're on that 60-man roster, expanded roster for a major league team, minor league players aren't playing baseball. The facilities are closed. There might be voluntary workouts here or there with coaches, but it's not going to be structured organizational development as we would typically know it. So for the baseball players, and this was sort of my response to this player as well, stay ready. You know, if you, if you, you know, we don't know if there's going to be an Arizona Fall League. Rumors are, and we're watching this with great interest, with fingers crossed, if the MLB season goes well, I'm really hoping there is some kind of a 
expanded super duper Arizona, Florida fall league for the minor league players. And there's rumors of this, whether it happens or not, we're not sure. We don't know, but I'm hoping that, you know, towards the fall, if the season goes well, you know, barring any major setbacks like this Miami outbreak, um, if they get the system down and it's running smoothly, um, can they have a, a minor league fall, uh, fall league, sorry, for the minor league players, for the prospects, as many as possible, hopefully all of them, right? Um, and if that happens, you got to be ready. So right now, it's a massive opportunity for every athlete that's not playing sport. Let's just make that perfectly clear. We're not just talking baseball here. Every single athlete out there has to turn this shutdown into a massive opportunity. Now, maybe your gym is closed. Maybe you can't train the way you normally would. Excellent. Train the, train train differently. Make yourself more adaptable. Make yourself more robust. Work on things that are going to increase your value as a player when sport returns. Because listen to me carefully. Sport is going to return. And that poses an opportunity on top of an opportunity because the athletes that are ready on the return of sport are going to have such such an advantage over those who are sitting back waiting to the last minute to hear when they need to get ready. So it was a great note from this professional player. And we just went back and forth. And my suggestion is, hey, man, be ready for a fall league just in case it happens. There's no downside. So set up your schedule. Fall league, let's say it's going to start end of September. All right. So work backwards. You have August, September. You got eight weeks to really just step back, decide what you can do over the next eight weeks to be really, really ready to compete at the end of September. And then if there's not a fall league, that's perfectly fine, man. Then you can step back, readjust, and look to spring training next year. So get ready for February. And so right now, for all you players out there who aren't playing the game of baseball, go practice, set up your weekly schedule, but set a date, set a time. And for the professional players out there, I'm going to say set it for the fall. Set it for the end of August or the end of September. You know, a lot of um, high school, college ball will start in October, September, October. Set it up like that and, and get competition ready. Work on things that make you more valuable as a player. All right. And then if, if nothing happens here in the fall, good. Step back, reevaluate when you need to be ready. Next spring training for baseball players and start thinking, okay, what do I need to do as an athlete to become a better player? And then as you get into the new year, end of January, February, March, what kind of player are you going to be? You know, depending on where you're at in your, in your, in your career and in your development, right? And these are the strategies we're looking at now. And I'm telling you, it's a massive opportunity and not just for baseball players, our hockey players that have been shut down, our football players that may or may not play this fall, get ready to play. Be as ready as possible. Make yourselves as valuable as possible and be ready to go. And that's our message to that. So a great conversation there. And I really appreciate that email because it gets me thinking about that stuff. And, and we don't normally, you know, it's not something I would normally be thinking about. Well, I am. I mean, don't get me wrong, but not for a player that I don't know personally. So more of a general message there, but it's just great to hear from, from one of our listeners who happens to be a pro athlete um, about what they're dealing with right now. Cause it's real. Hey man, it's sport. Let's keep it in perspective. It's sport. But if you're an athlete and you've been an athlete all your life and you've committed to your sport, that's a big deal. So good for you. Love it. And thank you for that email. Now from pro to promise. And the promise is an interesting one because 
I was incredibly intrigued by this email. I've done about nine video conferences here over the, over the summer so far. Some big ones, some very private small ones to high-performance coaches, but every single one of them has been a ton of fun talking shop and, you know, people are just asking, you know, to share ideas and Hey Jeff, what do you think about this? And, and it's been an honor and a privilege. And we're posting those on our website. So you can go back and just see what we've been talking about. But a lot of the conversations go back to the big picture of athlete development, the long-term plan. And if you guys have been listening to the show this year, that's one of our themes, early specialization and the long game of athlete development. It's a theme for 2020. So we've been hammering it because it's so important, because our sports are broken. You know, I said it, I think in the last show, we're not, you know, we're seeing great athletes being drafted and playing at the highest level, but we're not seeing the best athletes. We're not. We're seeing the best athletes that have survived the system, and that's honorable, and they're great athletes, but we are not seeing the best, or even the best of the best. And what I mean by that is, our best players that, that we're seeing now, men and women, they could be better. And I think a lot of this has to do with the long-term plan. So we got an email. We've been talking about this uh, on the video conferences and on the radio show all summer. And then this email comes in from an expecting father. And I'm going to read this to you because I really appreciated this. And, and um, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's quite long. But, but the just is, you know, he says, I'm a weekly listener of your show and enjoy your insight um, that you provide your expertise, la da 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 He says, I'm an expecting father and have wanted to make sure my child um, – um, enjoys sport as much as possible because this person grew up as an athlete, recreational athlete, and just loved sport. But he sees what's going on. He's hearing us talking about what's going on in sport. So it's a great question from an expecting father. And, you know, we kind of talked about this around the show and in the background in the boardrooms and stuff about, you know, the long-term development. And, of course, we're working with some some excellent people right now on some long-term development strategies for Sport Canada and other places um, and the conversations are fascinating. Like they really are. And one of the things that have come out of the conversations, you know, especially when it comes to the long-term development is, you know, should we be doing a better job of just filling parents in on sport development, for health and wellness? I mean, the idea of a long-term development program isn't about creating high-performance athletes. It's about creating lifelong activity patterns. Right. So this was a great email at a really, really perfect time. And I, I want to thank him for this. But here's some of the questions. Are there specific sports you suggest placing your young child in to maximize overall athletic ability and enjoyment? Yes. To build a strong base. Yes, absolutely. And we often say, you know, through those early years, just playing and fun. But there's a lot of great programs out there right now that are teaching movement in a very safe environment. Um, but all these fun-nastic type stuff, gymnastic-based programs that aren't gymnastics. It's just horsing around and having fun, you know, learning how to tumble and roll and jump into foam pits. And you could find these in your communities. You know, you can even set it up at home, but it's just fun-based, very, very little structure, but providing environments where kids get to climb, they get to jump, they get to roll and tumble and do all these sorts of things and show off a bit and have some fun. So, so gymnastics and funnastics, gymnastics type programs, I think are really, really important early on. Also, you know, we say when your athletes start getting, or when your youngsters start getting into, um, that nine, 10, 11 year olds, get them involved in track and field. And I'm not talking about going to track and field events, but getting them involved in multiple sports, run, jump and throw type stuff. 
Okay. Teach them to throw, teach them to run. And then, you know, teach them to jump, whether it's hurdles, high jump, whatever, throwing a discus, throwing a javelin, you know, get them into running programs. And I, it doesn't have to be hardcore sprint training or anything. It could be cross country running, but run, jump and throw type programs. So there are programs and every kid teach them to get them in swimming lessons, teach them to swim. Everybody should learn how to swim. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, it's not that expensive. It doesn't take that long, but uh, get them in the water, get them familiar water for safety's factor, right? But uh, those would be some of my suggestions there. Uh, the second, the second uh, question was, what is the best number of sports to participate in? Because we've been preaching and, you know, all the research is showing us that early specialization in one sport is very, very risky game to play. Is there a magic number? No, no, there's not. It really depends on your resources, your environment, you know, where you live, but how many sports we just say as many as possible for as long as possible, mixing up team sports with individual sports, you know, seasonal sports is just great. They don't have to be in five sports at one time. Let's make that perfectly clear. That's not good. We don't want to overschedule our kids, but over the course of a, a year, make sure they're involved in multiple sports that make sense for you and your family. You know, I grew up in a family of four kids. It wasn't possible. And we grew up on a farm outside of town. It wasn't possible for me to be in five sports a year. It was baseball, typically baseball, hockey. And then, you know, in school, we played volleyball, basketball. And I got into badminton a little bit when, when it was the right season. But baseball and hockey were the two opposing sports where I grew up. They were just available. There wasn't football at my high school, unfortunately. I would have loved to play football. And we played soccer. So, you know, you just have to figure out what's best for you. There's no magic number. But we do like to have that variety over the course of a year. And then over the course of a life of an athlete, they can choose. And if they do get into, a, if they do get a passion for sport, they're going to be a much more well-rounded athlete when they do decide to specialize. Um, and are there any specific ideas uh, within the sports science community as it pertains to roughhousing? No, just make it fun, make it safe. Like we want kids to get out there and horse around and have a good time, but um, it doesn't need to be structured. Unstructured play is one of the most important things in the development of a human being. Unstructured learning. Keep that in mind. We know that one of the most powerful times for high performers in terms of their development is individual practice time when nobody else is around. Nobody's judging them. They're just figuring things out. They got freedom to be creative. They're not being watched or judged. So keep that in mind. And honestly, you know, if you're a coach of a team, you should program that into your annual plan. You should make a practice where, hey, here's the equipment, guys. I'll be out here. I got some things to do. You guys pick teams and go out and play. And then your athletes get ownership as well. So, so many good things there. And a great question, by the way. And additional information. Well, you know, for every parent out there, I would strongly recommend that you go just check out the long-term athlete development programs, LTAD, or long-term development programs on the websites. So um, they're just a great resource. And it gives you at least, even if, you, even if you just read the summary, it gives you a briefing of what long-term development is all about and gives you an idea of the different phases as well. And again, one of the biggest problems that we're seeing is specialization in one sport, the overuse injuries that we're seeing. So there you go. I want to thank you for that email. And there you go. An email from a pro athlete and an email from an expecting father in the crush bag, in the crush mailbox, mailbag. So um, just really good stuff. And there's others as well. And I just wanted to share those ones because they were, were, were really timely, I think, in terms of the theme for this year on the radio show and what's going on in sports. So keep them coming. 
Info at Crush Performance is the email. All right, let's wrap it up here. Let you guys get out there and get better. I um, want to thank you guys for tuning in today. Oh, what we're working on coming up in the next few weeks, we are working on a series about brain and the brain performance. What is it all about? What do we know about the brain right now when it comes to performance? It's a doozy. It's a doozy. We're going to be talking about concussions, CTE, brain training, a lot of cool things going on. And as you know, if you listen to the show, I firmly believe that our understanding of the mind and the brain and how it really operates is the next bastion of human performance moving forward. It is the most potential for pushing human performance forward more than anything else out there. So we're on it. And of course, the crush war on sugar will continue. Um, we're working on a couple of great episodes with some very, very intriguing guests as we battle to help you improve your performance and your health at the same time and the health, hopefully, of everybody else around you. All right, so that'll do it for today, everybody. Get out there, be very, very safe, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I consider myself a realist. When everybody brought this up as a possibility to start the NFL football season, the first thing I said is it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. COVID and football don't go together, okay? I said there's a chance in the NFL, slight chance, and I said as far as the uh, NCAA goes, zero. Slight NFL, 5%, I think I said. I'm going to put that down to zero as we are right now. Um, the NFL thinks that they're going to put discipline on high-risk activities on players. There's 32 football teams with 50 players on a team. You think just finding players is going to be enough because if one player acts a fool, everybody's going to get it. And if you don't know that's a fact, are you watching baseball? By the way, enjoy baseball while you can. I have a sports radio show that depends on sports. And I don't, and baseball, like I said, enjoy it while you can. It's been three games. There's been an outbreak already. Um, the Marlins have 11 players and two front office people who've come up with the COVID. By the way, they found out Saturday of a couple, and they still put their team out on Sunday. Now, this is where I was telling people we're going to have a problem. I was exposed to Orlando Davis, who was in the media. We were sharing a microphone. I found out I shared a microphone with him, got tested. I was negative. I still have to be quarantined for 14 days. I still have to be away from everybody for 14 days. Now, the Phillies have 11 players, two front office. Who are exposed to them? Everybody? <laughs> are they going to quarantine? This is the problem. Everybody wanted to open. Everybody wanted to start. There's zero protocol. Zero. Nobody knows what to do now. And I asked the question. I was like, why are you being so negative? And I'm not being negative. I'm telling you, this is what is inevitable. Now we have to find out what do we do from here? Where does it go from here? And it's going to have to come to the point where, you know, the NFL is not going to play. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.